Um, thank you, Leslie, for reading that this morning. Um, I want to talk this morning about a church united. You can see it up there. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And we already heard this morning from Peter about being and dwelling and standing together in unity. Mr. Nose and Mr. Hand were sitting in a church pew talking together. The morning service had been led by Mr. Ear, the musician, and Mr. Mouth, the pastor, and it had just ended. Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Hand's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Hand said, looking down. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke was sympathetic. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and they enjoyed the ministry of Mr. Ear, the musician. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't really connect with them. Next, we joined a small group for all the toes, but they just kept talking about socks and shoes and odours, and that didn't really interest us. Nose looked at him at this time in genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned about odours? He said, sure, sure, said Mr. Hand. Then we attended the Sunday lunches for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays in a row. It was great to have you, responded Nose. Thank you, but, but everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. And it felt like, well, it felt like you never really wanted to do any work or get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out the new church over across the other side of the city. We hear they do a lot of hand clapping and raising their hands, which is a bit closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Mr. Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated the sadness at the prospect of losing the hands, but he again said that he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met by this church. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he'd never burst into an open tirade against anybody. In fact, he usually apologised for being a bit negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he'd let slip out here and there had finally had their effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was perhaps a little out of date and not their style. The programmes did seem a bit silly that they ran. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two hands to put their fingers on it. But they finally decided that the church there wasn't for them. That was written by Mark Dever in What is a Healthy Church? I want to talk briefly this morning about unity in the church. The Apostle Paul wrote in, uh, to the church in Philippi, saying that they would make his joy complete 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. But how do we lock, unlock the door to unity in the church? Well, Philippians 2.1, as you can see on the screen there, says, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if there is any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. You see, the if in verse 1 leads to the then in verse 2. See, unity is conditioned upon certain realities. It's like opening a door, but with multiple locks. You can't fully open the door until you've got all the keys in the right place. And I think from just verse 1 and 2, there are four significant keys that we can take from this passage. Three beings and one doing. The first is being in Christ or being united with Christ. It says, if there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. According to Ephesians 2.6, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We've been raised up with Christ into the heavenly realms. That means we can look at life from a different position. We've been raised up to see things differently than we see when we're in the midst of things. We are raised up in the heavenly realm. It's like having a bird's eye view on what's happening around you. We sing a song, rise up on wings like eagles. Eagles have a bird's eye view. They can see things from above. Rather than being in the midst of something, they look at it from above. So when we're raised up with Christ and we're united with Christ, we can see the bigger picture of what God is doing. We don't merely see the peace that affects you or me alone. We see God's hand at work. 1 John 1.17 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship or unity with one another. And we no longer see a church with all its flaws, just as Mr. and Mrs. Handed, but rather we see the church as God sees his church. In Christ, loved a precious bride. And... Despite our own blemishes, we can see each other how God sees us. United with Christ, saved by grace, witnesses in this world. Key number one, we need to be a people who are being in Christ or united in Christ. Key number two, being reliant on Christ's love. It says in Verse two, if there is sorry, verse one, sorry, if there is any comfort from his love. I know we're all flawed people. How many people recognise that? One or two people. Okay. All right. Okay. There aren't any perfect churches or any perfect people. If you find one or find a church that's perfect, please let me know. All right. There are no perfect churches and no 
perfect people. We are all flawed people. We all need to rely on God's unconditional love if we're going to remain united through all the failings that we have with one another, through the strong differences of opinions that we might have at times and will continue to have. It's a part of life. But Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins and we're to be reliant on God's love and to love one another. You see, the church is not just about my preferences or your preferences. The church is a body that works together. It should be diverse filled with people from different backgrounds, with different personalities, different gifts. When all members of the body work together, God is glorified. However, the enemy will do anything he can to disrupt that and to bring about disunity. We need to guard against that. I wonder how many of us have maybe thought at times, oh, I want to be a part of a church where people are just like me. I wonder how many of us would cope with everybody being like Sanjay. How would you cope with that if everybody was just like you? Or everybody was exactly like Peter. How would you cope if it were all just the same as you? I wouldn't cope if it was everybody just like me anyway, but uh, <laughs> I'm being truthful there. <laughs> but we need to be who we are and who God calls us to be, each one of us. We are diverse people. We are not all exactly the same. You can say a few after that. I heard this quote by Bill Johnson. It said, unity without diversity leads to uniformity. And uniformity tends to produce death. However, if diversity is not kept under control, it would destroy unity, and then you have anarchy. There is diversity in unity, not a uniformity. The parts do not look exactly alike, they do not function exactly alike, yet they are all important, all needed, interdependent, and all work toward the same end the purposes for which each member was designed in the function of the body, as directed by the head and in accord with the creative purposes of God. Some of the parts are covered. Others are within the body and unseen. But nevertheless, each is very important. Some gifts may be more at the forefront. They might be more obvious. Others are less so. But all are essential to the effective work of the body and ultimately the unity of the church. See, each one of us is unique. Each one of us is special. Each one of us has a talent. Each one of us has a gift or giftings that God's given to us for a purpose. Each one of us has ideas and opinion. Each one of us has dreams and desires to fulfill. Each one of us can serve as part of the body of Christ. Each one of us is being changed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. Each one of us will have differing opinions. Each one of us will have differing ideas. We'll all be tested at times. 
We might well struggle to remain in fellowship at times. There might be heated debates at times. But we need to remember to be reliant on Christ's love in everything that we do. We mustn't let our own selfishness or pride or unforgiveness creep in. We might become disgruntled. But if we allow our own needs and wants to become foremost, then there's a danger that we can become divided and disunity can prevail. We work at creating welcoming environments. We try to recognize our own imperfections, sorry, and we want to improve. But our imperfections are not the same as our preferences. You see, if we just want our own personal preferences, that's when seeds of disunity can be spread. That's when gossip can spread. We, as a church, need to guard against this. See, disunity grieves the heart of God and brings dishonor to his name. But when we rely on a love that is above and beyond to help us, we, as a church, need not lose our unity together. Now, as I said earlier, we're all flawed human beings, so we actually have a flawed human love. But we can rely on a love that is above and beyond to be with us in each and every situation. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This needs to be a church where love never fails. A church united relies on God's love and never fails to love. You see, when we're more concerned... Oh, sorry. I'm skipping ahead of myself there. Point number three, or key number three. Being in step with the Spirit. It says, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 2 to 6, Paul writes... Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul here calls this the unity of the Spirit amongst us. See, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to have faith in Christ and enables us to cry out with confidence, Abba, Father, to our Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who frees our hearts from maybe irrational, self-defensive prejudices that we might have so that we're willing to own up to the true convictions that Jesus Christ makes in our lives and the changes that he is making in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 
2 verse 14 and 16 it says a person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God a little further down it says but we have the mind of Christ we dwell within Christ we are to be a people who are in step with the spirit at all occasions James 4 1 says what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you what's the solution Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Frederick B. Meyer, a great English Baptist minister and evangelist in the 1800s, struggled with jealousy when another great English evangelist and Bible teacher, George Campbell Morgan, returned to England after being in America. Meyer said to some friends, it was easy to pray for the success of Morgan when he was in America. But when he came to England and to a church near mine, it was something different. The old Adam in me was inclined to jealousy. But I got my heel upon its head. And whether I felt right toward my friend, I was determined to act right. I was determined to act right. See, when we're more concerned about not grieving or quenching the spirit among us than getting our own way, we come together for the good of the whole body. A church united walking in the spirit is not just about me, it's about we. That's our third key, being in step with the spirit. And the final key, this is a doing giving ourselves for others it says if there is any tenderness and compassion it's the holy spirit who bears the fruit in our lives as galatians 5 2 says he gives us a common care for each other gives us a compassion for the lost those two words can be interchanged heart of tenderness a heart of compassion Tenderness for one another, compassion for those that are lost. See, we're to respond to one another and the world from the core of our being. Being supportive of one another, just as we are doing. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, doing life together. Just as the early church did. Acts 4.32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they had with great power the apostles began to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and much grace was upon them all there were no needy persons among them the church pulling together there was a horse strength contest that took place in canada the people would put weights onto a flatbed wagon and a single horse pulled it a measured distance then they would add 1,000 pound weights at a time until the horse could no longer pull the wagon. The winner pulled 9,000 pounds and the runner-up pulled 8,000 pounds. Out of curiosity, someone suggested putting the two horses together. When they hitched both horses to a single wagon, they pulled a remarkable 31,000 pounds. Working together, 
the two individual horses pulled more than three times the weight that the best of them could pull on their own. A united church can do far more good when we're pulling together than we can when each person is looking to their own ends. We are stronger and better together than we ever are apart. We are a family placed here at New Life Church together. Jesus prayed for our unity in John 17, 21. It says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We're working at being united. It's a process. But I believe with these four keys, we can become a church that remains united. Being with Christ on a daily basis. Being reliant on God's love in each and every circumstance. Being in step and guided by the Holy Spirit and giving of ourselves for one another and the lost. That's a church united. That's a united church. You see, as long as the church involves people, it'll always miss the mark of being perfect. It'll always miss the mark of being perfect. But it can still be a church that is united. As the Apostle Paul says, let's make our joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. God bless you.